Christ is at this very place of surrender and adoration that we actually find our freedom. We find the very thing that we were made for, that our dry souls meet life when they encounter you, the living God. And God, I keep falling for the same trick daily, believing that if I just controlled my own life, that if I could determine my own steps, then I can find my way to happiness or peace or joy or whatever it is. And each time, <laughs> you show me again and again that it's you who hold the path of life and that I ultimately find who I am in light of who you are. You are my God. I'm yours. And we thank you that we get to be called yours because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And that we get to walk with you every day because your Holy Spirit empowers and transforms us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, guys. You know, I, I think um, before I got up here, thank you, Michael. Um, I, I had this picture first service too that oftentimes we come into church and we're like this when we get into church, right? Because it's like, like we're, we're holding the weight of burdens or anxieties or things that we think we have to carry all on our own or things we're trying to control. But one thing that happens in the midst of worship is that oftentimes when we're like this, we forget to breathe. <laughs> when we come into worship, all of a sudden we're breathing in who God is. And we're breathing in the truth of what he says about us. And we're breathing in reality. And all of a sudden what happens naturally is we start to breathe out peace and joy and praise to God. That's what worship is. And that's part of what we do and part of the, the joy of being able to gather together is that we get to like this together. <laughs> and just let the Lord minister to us and speak his love over us, his truth over us. So don't forget to breathe while you're in here. All right? Don't forget to breathe. All right. Hey, morning, everybody. We get to start a new sermon series today that I have been wanting to start for a long time. But before I tell you what it is, I'm going to do a little uh, crowd participation activity. Can we? You guys okay with that? All right. So the way this is going to work um, is I'm going to shout out a word. Oops. I forgot my marker. Joseph, could you hear my marker right there? I'm going to shout out a word, and I want you guys, thank you, man, to tell me the first word that comes to your mind after you hear it. There's no wrong answers. Shout it out. I'll do my best to hear. Shelby says I can't hear well. I think she just mumbles. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Welcome to our home. So, <laughs> I'll do my best. All right. So, let's say, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word work? Firefighters. <laughs> Firefighters. Okay, you got it. Money. What else? What? Stress. Thank you. Passion. All right. Yeah. Does they toys? Is that what it? Bills. What else? Purpose. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. It's like I feel like this is like the Price is Right. We're, <laughs> All right. That's that one. All right, second word. Tell me what comes to mind when you hear the word worship. Fun, Jesus, 
dance. Yeah. <laughs> what? Love. Okay, thank you. Passion again. All right. All right, love. Got it. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. We can, I know we can keep going. You guys are, I love the service. You guys are right into it. Okay, now look at these two boards and, and just see what you notice for a second from looking at these two boards. Because one of the things that, uh, I, I'm actually just copying an exercise that there's a professor at Samford University, the one in Alabama, not California, named John C. Knapp, who's done this very thing uh, with hundreds if not thousands of Christians, just asking them to, to, to look through this. And then at the end, he says, well, what, what do you notice? And what he has discovered is that oftentimes, similar to what we have here, that when, the first things that come to mind when we say work are things like money, stress, bills, purpose, or for some people, business, customers, competition, ambition. And then when we say worship, that it tends to be a very different list. Now, we got passion in both because somebody just is passionate about all things. Thanks, Jen. But for the most part, you, you end up with two different lists, right? The words on this don't end up on this and vice versa. And when we think of worship, we think of Jesus and dance and church and fun and, and, and prayer and these types of things. But what this tends to reveal to us is that when we talk about work or we talk about worship, we're really talking about two separate spheres of our lives. They feel totally distinct from one another. We tend to think of it as work and worship, not really something that go together. Right? Is that fair? And so, as you think about it, and I think this chasm is often widened by the fact that pastors like me haven't spent much time talking about why your work matters to God. Or two, many of us, our, our workplaces tell us, check your faith at the door. Don't bring it in, right? So, so oftentimes, we tend to see this as this happens every day of the week except for Sunday, right? Then we do this. Or like to work deals with the temporal. This is the eternal. This is what you do in public. This is maybe more personal. Work and worship. But as followers of Christ, we want Christ to impact every area of our lives, right? Including our work. So, so does Jesus care about our work? Well, yes. But how? What does that look like? And that same Professor Knapp said that studies have shown that most people want their work to be about a lot more than money or a paycheck. They want their work to have a greater sense of purpose. So is it possible that we can actually connect our work to God's work in the world? Talk about a greater purpose. So whether you are a student a full-time or part-time employee, a business owner, a stay-at-home parent, homemaker, whether you're looking for work or whether you're retired, how can your work be connected to God's work? How can we begin to think and understand that? Instead of thinking of work and worship, we're doing a series called Work as Worship. You know, and our men's ministry and other small groups have been going through this themselves the last several weeks, but I want to go through this all together as a church, too. And so to start this series, we're beginning by asking, what is God's good design for our work? And naturally, after we answer that question, we're going to say, well, why does it not seem so good? <laughs> Oftentimes, why does work seem like the opposite of good many days? But then last, 
in light of Christ's work on our behalf, which we call the gospel reality, how does that redeem and transform how we view and how we treat our work, whatever it may be? So instead of treating these as separate spheres of our lives, how can we connect it to see work as worship? And if all that still sounds too out of touch with real life, just hang with me. But we're going to start by looking at what is God's original design for our work. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. Genesis chapter 2, it is on page 2 of the Blue Bibles in front of you if you want to look at it with me. But as we read it, ask yourself, how does work, the work we've been given as human beings, fit into God's original creation blueprint? All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. You guys ready? All right. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon, that it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold that, of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. And then the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river was the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say, work it. And take care of it. Everybody say, take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Lord, help us understand your word. Uh, Make it clear for us. But not only make it clear, but, but show us, Lord, how it transforms our lives and may lead us to follow you in a different way as we go about our work. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever I get the chance, I love to watch the show How It's Made. You guys seen that show before? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, what a good show. How It's Made. Each episode, I think it's like a billion episodes at this point. But, but each episode, they show how the process of how raw materials get turned into everyday products, breath mints, hot dogs, footballs, right? Well, Genesis 2, try to think about it as... The Bible's version of how it was made, right? It is this magnificent project, though, of the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. But there were no pre-existing materials. It was the Lord God alone who brought it all into existence, even designed and set up the laws of physics themselves so it may operate. But within his whole work of creation, what did God create us to do? What was God's original purpose for us as human beings? Well, we see that from the beginning, we see that work is from God and a part of his good design for us. But before we ever started to work, one thing we need to get, God worked first. 
God worked first. That's going to come, in, come into play later on the end. But we see in chapter 2, verse 4, that like an expert craftsman, God made the heavens and the earth. And then like a potter, verse 7, it says that he formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then like a landscape architect, he planted a garden in Eden and there placed the man he had formed. That God didn't just make and form, but he also provided a home and food. And in this chapter, God works as architect, tradesman, artist, horticulturalist, and more to do two things. One, create, that is bring to life all that is. And two, to provide for all things. So you got to get, God didn't create and dash like some believe. But he, he's consistently at work providing as well for all that which he created, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, look outside, look at the birds of the air, how God feeds them. Or look at the flowers that are starting to pop out of the ground, how God clothes them. If God is providing for those things, how much more must he be providing for you? So God didn't just create though. He didn't just provide. But we also see that he also empowered us to join with his work in the world. That God made us to join in his work before sin was ever a thing. Meaning that the work was a part of the goodness of his creation. That work was good. But how? Well, if you go back a chapter earlier in Genesis 1 verse 28, it says that after he create, created us, that God blessed humanity and empowered us to fill the earth and rule as his representatives in the world. Now, this is very different than the way a lot of the ancient civilizations understood creation. Because we actually have creation accounts of other civilizations like the Babylonians. And in their accounts, they understood the gods as creating human beings so that human beings could do the menial slave work that the gods didn't want to do. But that's not what this is. Here God says, no, no, I'm empowering you. I'm giving you dignity and value made in my image and so that you may rule over the world that I've created. You guys see that? And so as such... Genesis 2.15 says, Thus God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to one, to work it, and two, to take care of it. Now what's fascinating to me here is that the Hebrew word for work here is a word avoda. And if you were to translate avoda into English, you can translate it either as work or worship. It means both things. It is to, it actually holds the meaning to work as worship. I could, could do right here, avoda, uh, right? Just to show that it, it, it ties these two words together. These are not separate spheres. It is the same. Because we understand that worship isn't just singing. Worship is any response of reverence and gratitude to who our God is. And so it's possible for work to be that. That as God created life, we cultivate life in his world as an expression of gratitude. As God providentially cares for us, he empowers us to take care of others and his world on his behalf. An expression of worship back to him. So our work can be a response of worship for the God who already worked for us. You guys tracking with me so far? All right. Now I'm throwing a lot at you. 
Don't allow that at you. But connect, when we start to see our work as connected to God's work in the world, we realize then that God's given each of us purpose. And our work is connected to that purpose. Have you ever gone a while without meaningful work? You know that emptiness, that sense of loss that you feel? That's because work is a part of God's design for us. That like food and friendship and rest, prayer, we're made for meaningful work. Many of you here know Elena Shanayan. God gave Elena years ago a heart for women coming out of human trafficking or abuse situations. And as she was wrestling with God, what what do you want me to do about that? She realized that a common thread for many of those coming out of abuse and trafficking situations is they've been told their whole life that you're not going to contribute anything to society. You're not worth much. And so she decided to start an organization called Qualified, which helps them discover not only their God-given gifts, but to find meaningful work And it's been a transformative work in their lives as they discover that God has, in fact, made them for meaningful work. Why? Because work is part of our God-given design in this world. We were not made for lives of just leisure and bonbons, right? I don't even know what a bonbon is. Is I don't think I've ever had one. But yeah, so we're not not made for that, right? have one, fine. Like rest is part of what, how God has made us, but it's not all we've been made for. That we've been endowed with eternal value. We've been empowered with God-given passions and talents so that we can join, yes, you can join in God's life-giving, life-providing work. All right. Some of you may be thinking, Kirk, that's a good theology of work. But let's... <laughs> Let's just bring that helium balloon back down to the ground, shall we? (laughs) Let's get real. Because while all that sounds good, it doesn't feel true. And that's the case for many of us. If our work is part of God's good design, then why does it feel so hard? And if it's worship, then why am I so stressed? And if it's a part of God's bigger plan, then why does it sometimes even feel pointless? The Bible answers that question too. And then we see in Genesis 3 that while work itself isn't bad, it became twisted and darkened when we decided to be boss instead of God. So you guys remember in the middle of that magnificent garden were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're going to focus on the second one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because within God's world... He places one boundary around that man. And he said, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what does that represent? What does that symbolize? What does that mean to communicate to us? Well, that out of all the work that God has entrusted to us, there's one job he has not delegated. And that's to judge for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That we've been empowered to join in God's work in the world in many ways, but only God gets to decide what's best for us and what is not. God alone is at the center. He's the frame of reference for morality. But 
When we want to put ourselves at the center, when we want to be boss instead of him, the economy of God's world breaks down. And this is exactly what happens a chapter later in Genesis 3. That instead of living within that boundary that God had had for them, which was for their life, the man and woman decided for themselves what was best. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which just in doing that was their way of saying, we can determine what is good and what is right. And this is called sin. And that is the moment where work and worship became separated. That is the moment when their eyes became darkened to who our God is. Work didn't go away. But all of a sudden their understanding of who God was and who they were became darkened. And it wasn't just humanity that felt the effects of that, was it? But as Romans 8.20 said, that all of creation under humanity's care was subjected to frustration. And what impact did this have on our work? Well, as a result of sin, we now experience work oftentimes as fruitless, difficult, or even pointless. And I grabbed those three words from an excellent book, a classic book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. If you want to dig into this subject more, pick up that book. Totally recommend it. But first, even when we work hard, the results often feel fruitless. And we see that like, that goes with what God told Adam in Genesis 3. When he said that because of their sin, cursed is the ground because of you. That which only bore fruit, he says, now will bear thorns and thistles. That you are going to be start pulling up weeds soon in your yard. And they will come back again. <laughs> right? That we can put years into a project and it feels like, man, nothing changed. Or as parents, maybe you put years into sowing and you're looking at your kids and wondering, when is the reaping going to come? Right? That sometimes we can put so much work and it can feel fruitless. But even when there is fruit, work feels needlessly difficult at times. Have you ever said, like, why is this so hard? Well, again, it's because of the effect of sin. And God said after that, is that, that because of sin, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. By the sweat of your brow. And thus, we live in a world, we face problems we often don't know how to solve. We manage people who want to be the boss instead of us. We have to jump through so many legal hurdles to get something done. Our, our bodies ache from manual labor. It's hard. Other days, not only can it feel fruitless or difficult, but it can feel pointless. God also said, because of sin, you will eat your food until you return to the ground for from the dust you were made into the dust you return. And sometimes when you read that, you think, well, what's the point then? What's the point? I keep working, but for what? Just to make more money? Like what difference does that ultimately make in the end? You ever wondered those questions? They often come up when things feel fruitless and difficult. <laughs> but when we're faced with this fruitless, difficult, pointless and how work can often feel like that. It can lead us to one of two reactions. One of two reactions. We can start, one, viewing work as a necessary evil. Or we start viewing work as something that we worship. So first, instead of work being good and from God, we treat it as a necessary evil. 
Maybe once you, you started in the workforce and you wanted to make a difference in this world and you believed you could and you went out with a gung-ho but as you started working, you realized how difficult it was. You started wondering, ah, maybe I'll just work to pay the bills. Maybe I'll just work to provide for my family because it's frustrating, exhausting, and fruitless. So yes, I will try to avoid it whenever possible, and I'll just live for the next vacation, the next holiday, or until I can retire. We endure it. Or, second, Instead of work as worship to God, we may begin to worship work. And I find this especially true when, when we're really good at our work, right? We, we find validation in it. People affirm, hey, you're really good at this, and, you, and you're getting promoted, and things are going well for your work. If we don't know where our value comes from, then you better believe we will start looking for it anywhere else. And if we're being validated here, we'll look right to work in order to give us some sense that, that we have worth and that our lives matter. But when that happens, work becomes the most important thing to us. And then the boundaries of life become blurred. We become addicted to it. We've begun to worship it. And while sin has twisted and darkened our work, our work can't save us, can it? No. So yeah, we don't live in Eden. We live in a sin-devastated world. So how can our work be redeemed, or can it? Is it possible to discover our purpose again? Can we experience work as worship? If so, how? And this is my final point. That by the work of Christ, we've been made new. So our work can become an act of worship. Now, I'm going to unpack this. But I'm going to get a little theologically nerdy on you, okay? So if you like that, great. If you don't, lean in extra on this part, okay? What I, what I want to travel to now is the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. Because before we can see our work redeemed, I want us to notice that Christ worked first. Christ worked first. And I want you to see the parallels here between Genesis 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. Because as we saw in Genesis, that before creation, there was only darkness and chaos. Well, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that when we were in our sin, we were once dead in the darkness of our sin. That we followed our cravings, our desires, our thoughts. That sin leaves us aimless, searching fruitlessly for value and purpose. That sounds like chaos to me. Does that not you? But when there was darkness in Genesis, there was. But God made life and made it flourish. In Ephesians 2, it says that while we were in a state of spiritual death, but God, out of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ. Christ worked first. It is his work, his death, his resurrection that made the way to new life even in the midst of a world of darkness and death. That there's no way that we could resurrect or save ourselves any more than we could create ourselves. But God worked first. And that's why Ephesians hits hard this point. By grace you have been saved. That is the grace of God. It is not by our works that you've been made new. And then in Genesis 2, after God formed humanity, it said he empowered them for his good work. And in Ephesians 2, verse 10, as those made alive with Christ, it says, check this out, you are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You guys see that? Right? That from darkness and death, from darkness and death, but God, right, made us alive in, Christ, in, in the beginning in Christ. And then as those made alive in him, we have been given his good work to do in this world. And building on that, Paul told the Corinthians, he says, If you know that Christ rose from the grave, if he's defeated death, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you know that you're going to be a part of his kingdom forever, he says, then because of that reality, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Yes, we are in a world awaiting Christ's return. When we experience difficult days, when it feels like we're not making a difference, or it feels fruitless or difficult. But Paul says, but always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, to whatever work he has called you. Because even while you may not know the purpose, you can be rest assured that whatever purpose God has, it's not in vain. Why? Because he lives. He lives forever. And you will too. And if you recognize that's true, then how does that change the way we step into our work day or night, depending on whenever you work, or 24-7 if you're a parent. Like, how does, that, how does that change the way you step into that? Well, as we wrestle with these things, I, practically, I want us to consider four questions. And again, when I talk about work here, I'm not talking about whatever receives a paycheck. I'm talking about whatever responsibilities you hold, whatever projects you're responsible for. Like students, you're in this. Retirees, you're in this. Homemakers, you're in this, right? Like everyone has work that they're responsible for. So with that in mind, I want us to leave today asking yourself and thinking through these four questions. One, how does your work itself reflect who God is? God designs and creates are you an architect? Are you an interior designer? I heard somebody say that earlier, right? Like, how does your work reflect who he is? God doesn't just create, but he beautifies things. That's a word, right? Beautifies. Like, are you an artist? Are you an artist? Like, that's all part of how you reflect his work and what you do. God provides and protects how do you join with him in that work too? How is your work a reflection of God's good work for us? Your work itself. But second, as you work, who has God placed around you to serve and love? You can think about your coworkers, your clients, your students, teachers, anyone with whom you have the privilege of interacting. Who seems open to getting to know you? Who can you share Christ or his love with those far from him, right? Who is around you? So it's not just the work itself, but who do you have the opportunity to impact and influence as you work? And third, how are you working for a more just society or for the common good? I could spend up two more sermons on this topic alone, but arts and entertainment help mold culture. Right? Attorneys, politicians, police officers, others help defend and, and enact justice. Businesses create products that contribute to the common good of all people. 
We understand that justice and goodness are who God is. So how is your work a part of bringing that about in this world? You guys tracking with me? Hopefully those looks are just because you're thinking. And like, and I, I understand like industries are broken. Like let's say that. Like industries are broken. If you work in the, I'm not even naming specifics. But like all industries have broken aspects of it. But God's not done working. Last, with the money you do make, how might God use you to be generous? And I save this question for last because this is often the first thought that comes to mind when I talk about work as worship to Christians. They say, okay, good, I make money so I can give it to the church. Like, well, no, that's not all that this means, right? Like, this is one part of what this means. So we talk about all these ways that our work matters to God, but I certainly don't want to leave this one out either. Because God provides for us, he often provides for others through us, doesn't he? And like work, money is not a bad thing. But do we grip it with ourselves as boss? Or do we hold it loosely, listening to how God wants to use it? If, the, if, if you're the latter, then I hope God blesses your socks off with money, right? I hope, I hope you, make, you cash in, right? Because ultimately, then we become tools in the hands of God to provide for the needs of others. So as we begin this Work as Worship series, these are the four questions that I want us just to begin this week to pray through, think through, talk to others about. They are listed in our Trinity app if you want to find them there. We'll, we'll put them up on social media this week too. So, but I, I want you guys just to be thinking through these as a whole and talking about it with one another. Because our work becomes an act of worship when it's a response to God's work for us. Now I'm sure you still got a whole lot of questions. I do too. And every single one of our industries and the areas where you work are going to have their own unique set of questions of how does this connect to God. And that's why I want to encourage us to talk about this with each other. If you know other people in this church who work in the same industry you do, actually sit down and talk about how does our faith connect to our work so that they're not separate spheres, but that they become an act of worship to God as we participate in his work in the world. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God prepared in advance for you, not the person beside you, you to do. And I know some of you may think, well, this is easy for you to say, Pastor, because clearly your work is connected to God's work, right? And plus, like, I, I just work on Sundays, right? I just, I just hang out all the other days of the week, right? But let me tell you, let me tell you, like, I, it is just as easy for me to be all about ministry work or church work and forget that it's worship. I can easily set about getting stuff done and forget to even talk to God in the process. So my vision for us as a church, for all of us, is that when we wake up tomorrow or when you wake up whatever day you're about to go to work and you're getting ready, that you do so with an anticipation that God has already been working before you showed up. And because Jesus is alive and his spirit is working in you, that he's already prepared work to do through you, that our work becomes an act of worship when it's a response to God's work for us. Amen, everybody? Amen. All right, let's stand up and pray. Lord, if anybody's coming in here today feeling fruitless, like all that they do just doesn't seem to matter, or it's just been difficult lately, then God, I pray that you affirm to them and show them that you are with them, that you empower them, that you encourage them, and that even when this world is, frankly, hard,
God, that you set our eyes up with the hope of what we know, that you are making all things right and you will come back and return and restore all things. And because you live, we can always hold on to hope and we can continue to step forward in whatever it is that you called us to do because you don't make mistakes. And as we sit in this time between Genesis 2 and Revelation 21, while we're waiting for that day when all to be made right, Lord, affirm to us again the calling you have for us and show us the opportunities that are already around us to be a part of what you are doing in this world. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen.